Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Pastor Brett Fuller is in the house ready to bring the word. Pastor Brett Fuller is the senior pastor of Grace Covenant Church in Chantilly, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C., where he was recently ordained to the office of bishop. He currently, yeah, that's worth celebrating. He currently serves as chaplain of the Washington football team uh, from 2005 to 2014. Uh, he served as the chaplain for the National Association of Basketball Coaches. In 2000, he initiated a bill in Congress to build a memorial honoring the African-American slaves who helped build America. Though the bill was never passed, he still hopes to complete the mission. Also, that's also we're celebrating. I like, we got a little celebration spirit on us. I love it. Also from 2007 to 2009, he served on President George Bush's advisory board for historically black colleges and universities. Pastor Brett has written two devotionals, Live Well and Relate Well. He and his lovely wife of 34 years, Cynthia, frequently conducts marriage and family seminars. You're getting a lot of applause. This is amazing. It's a jam-packed bio. Brett also coordinates relational and professional development seminars, helping leaders in every walk of life to become better leaders. He and his bride reside in Chantilly, Virginia. They have parented seven children and have been blessed with two wonderful daughter-in-laws. And most recently, they have welcomed their first grandchild, Ava Lilly. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Brett Fuller. Thank you very much, Bryson. Boy, it is great to be with you all. I love it. I don't get an opportunity to minister to many congregations because I got my own. But you all are renowned. Your fame and reputation precede you. And I have the greatest respect for your pastors. Pastor James and Debbie Lowe are outstanding human beings. Some of the finest Christians you will ever meet. They love you, they pray, they fast. They love this city. How they have responded over the last two years to the needs of Nashville, the broader Nashville area, has been commendable. And it reverberates throughout the body of Christ. You all are blessed to be able to call them your own. And every time you get an opportunity, pray for them. Love them in unusual ways. Figure out, a, figure out ways to make them happy that surprise them. Because when they're happy, you become happy. Hebrews says this, when the people who are serving you in Hebrews chapter 13 are doing it with the spirit of joy, the, the people who they serve benefit. And so if you make it hard for them, eh, then it becomes less blessing, less of a blessing for you. So do what you can 
to make sure that they're happy every day. Beyond that, uh, your broader leadership, people with whom I've walked for the last 40 years. Dr. Bishop Rice Brooks, one of my best buddies. Pastor Steve Merle, president of our Every Nation organization, one of my best buddies. We have been together since 1981. And our joy is be, to be able to say we are still together. It's hard to walk with people for a long time because they get to know you. And you give them many opportunities to go walk with somebody else. And I have done that to these men, and yet they have endured with me. And for that, I am very, very grateful. And because of that, we have some longevity that allows us to confirm what the scriptures uh, say to be true about what Jesus exhorted the disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. And if you do so, all men will know that you are my disciples. Combining two passages of scripture there, we allow uh, the, 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 the idea that Jesus had with respect to loving each other the extension of what it means for the world to be able to be impacted by our relationships. And I'm grateful to have been able to walk with people long enough whereby folks would say, wow, that's hard. And as a result, say, probably only God could have done that. Because I know people like, you're white, he's black, and you, you, he's from the South, you're from... There are so many reasons why we ought not be together. But Jesus bonds us. And for that I'm grateful. I've been given the task to help in the responsibility of uh, continuing the series of Cleaned House. And my passage that I've been tasked to teach from is from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. The title of the sermon is Preparation for Progress. Clean House, Preparation for Progress. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Verse 3. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold of the temple trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me. For I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and with it and said, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Lord, help us 
as we study your scriptures. Four things in this passage about which I'd like to speak. One, a leadership vacuum was created. Two, the Lord proved himself enthroned. Three, lips were purified for a leader. And then four, a leader was sent. This was an unusual period in Israel. You had the premier prophet with respect to word, vocalization of God's message, the premier prophet in all of the Old Testament. There were many kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elijah demonstrated power. Indeed, they had the word of the Lord, but we don't have a book written by either of them. Most of their ministry was dealing in the miraculous. And then you've got prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah and Amos and Hosea, all of whom may have done something, dabbled in the supernatural with respect to deeds, but most of their ministry is exemplified by word. And nobody more so than Isaiah, who wrote 66 chapters. At least we have delineated them as such. The longest prophetic book we have in the Old Testament. And probably one of the most significant prophetic ministries in the Old Testament in that he spanned four kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Almost 60 to 70 years of ministry. This man began to guide and direct both kings, administrative officials, and the people of God. We see a history of the, the, the people of God maturing and declining. During this time, Isaiah's ministry, we also see the northern kingdom. At this time, there were two kingdoms. The northern kingdom occupied by most of Israel, what we would call the ten tribes, and then the southern kingdom by Judah and Levi. The northern kingdom had not one good king. They had one king that was not real bad, but nobody who was good. The southern kingdom had a number of good kings, but many of them were flawed. Most of them had real issues. A couple of them were described as really good. You had David, who was phenomenal. Of course, there was no division of the kingdom, but he was the icon of what kings ought to be. You had Hezekiah, who was really good. You had Uzziah, who was really good, though he fell at the end of his life. Most of the kings in Judah, even if they were good, had some flaws that made the, the, the commentators, the narrators of history, say he did what was right of the Lord, but. But. I hope you live your life in such a way that if it were written about you, it would be said he did what was right in the Lord, period. I hope that's what you're striving for. Uzziah was a really good king, but he died in the day of Isaiah's ministry. And we believe it's right at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry and that Isaiah, again, spanned four kings. But Isaiah was, was traumatized because Uzziah, and another, uh, depending upon which version of, of Scripture you read, his name is also Amaziah. Uzziah is kind of like Joseph and Joe. Amaziah, Uzziah died when Isaiah was fairly young in ministry. He was the only king he had known. And he was a good king. He blew it at the end of his life. Pride crept into his soul. He thought he could do anything. And the divisions of ministry were split during the kingship. During the time of Moses, they were not. If you were judge, you could also go into the temple of God and do what needed to be done for God, representing the people. During the time of the kings, the divisions of ministry were split between the priesthood, the king, and the prophet. 
Uzziah thought, well, I can do anything because I am king. And he tried to do what the priests would do. And God said, no, 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 no. And even the priest tried to say, please, king, don't go in there where we ought to go. And he went anyway. Leprosy got on him and he died of it. It was sad. During Uzziah's time, he reigned longer than any king to that point. 51 years was his reign. Knowing that Uzziah, at least rulership-wise and worship-wise, until the end of his life was a good king, and the only template upon which Isaiah had to judge what was right, it was traumatizing to him. His king was dead, and Jotham, his son, nobody knew what he was going to do. He had, he had not yet exhibited the kind of traits as his daddy. So what you had is a leadership vacuum. Even though Jotham was on the throne, it was kind of like, so? You can have a leadership vacuum even though somebody's in the leadership position. There are so many places in our world that need help, even when people are there who are supposed to be the help. What do the people of God do when they see a leadership vacuum even though there's somebody sitting, sitting on the throne, somebody in the position of power? What do we do? Isaiah is trying to figure out how do I handle this? I don't have the same relationship with Jotham that I did with Uzziah. And I'm not quite sure whether he's even going to listen to me very much. I know I'm the primary voice piece for the nation, but I'm stuck. And plus, I liked Uzziah. I understood how to move and what to say and when to say it and how to say it. I don't know about this. And he comes into the place of quandary and transition trying to figure out how in the world to be and do in a new environment. Listen, transition is normal. I don't like it. I wish it did. I, I wish I could find that sweet spot and live in it every day of my life. That'd be really good. But God doesn't do that with me. It seems I am in constant transition. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't produce stability for the people around me and try to live in it. I try to make sure that I'm doing the, the, the same thing basically every day. I read my Bible. I pray. I, I try to love my wife, be a good dad to my kids, serve my congregation and my community. My days are pretty much normal and routine, but the Lord seems to add a little spice on the regular to what I consider normal. And it makes me have to say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I'm going to pray in such a way as to be prepared for the unusual. If you do it that way, transition is normal. You aren't always surprised when the unusual happens to you. Unfortunately, Isaiah is surprised, so surprised is he, that he says, I, I got to find God in a new way. And we don't know whether he went into the temple that day or whether he had a vision of being in the temple. Whatever it was, he was in a holy place. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Who do you see in the midst of your transitions? What do you notice? Do you only notice a difficulty? Do you only notice the imbalance? and that which isn't as stable as you'd like it to be? Or do you see something different that can get you your anchor that will keep you in the midst of all the winds and all of the waves that are trying to take you away from that which is due north? What do you see? In the midst of difficulty, Isaiah saw the Lord. Open your eyes. If you need some glasses, get them. 
Figure out a way to make your vision more clear so you can see what God wants you to see. Oh, during this pandemic, everybody's been looking at the trouble. We've been li we're listening to, to all the news reports about how bad it is and racking up the stats to prove how bad it is. Boy, you got to make sure that you dwell in your prayer closet. You got to see God rather than just the stuff. Now, it doesn't mean we ignore the stuff. We've got to respond well, and if you don't know what the stuff and the problems are, you won't respond well. You won't apply the right solution to the right problem. But you won't supply any right solution if you don't see God. What do you see in the midst of transition? What do you notice most? I saw the Lord, Isaiah said. And I mean, God showed up in a way that was really unusual. You know, the Lord can come any way he wants to. He can appear however he wishes to because he's God. That's, that's kind of the privileges of being him. But this time he appears to, to Isaiah in a way that's so relevant that it brings Isaiah's soul to a place of not only contentment but need. The need he had before was, I want things to be more stable than they are, and I don't know which way to go administratively with this. I'm the primary voice, voice for the entire nation, but I don't know how to be anymore. When he sees the Lord, now he's pretty much constructed in the foundation of, of who God is, but he also realizes what he is not. And see, the beauty of transition allows for all the stuff you are not to come to the fore. Because when transition occurs in your life, you realize, uh, what's that fear I feel? What, 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 what's that insecurity that's coming up? I don't, I, don't, I don't like what I'm sensing. I mean, I know I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I know God's in control. But I don't like the way I feel. My life is out of control. But I know he's in control. But my life feels out of control. It feels like somebody else has got control in my life. But I know he's in control. Why am I so focused on the other thing that seems to be controlling my life when I know he's in control? You go through this duplicity. And your mind tra plays tricks on you. When transition comes up, the insecurities come. He sees the Lord. The Lord showed up enthroned. Enthroned. What was Isaiah's greatest problem? I don't know who's going to rule well. I have no idea what's going to happen. This great king is gone. His boy might not be near as good as him. In fact, I know him. We got issues coming up. Now, Jotham was a pretty good king, but he wasn't his daddy. He was not his daddy. Plus, the people of the land, if you look from verse, verses 1-1 of Isaiah through the end of chapter 5, <laughs> you can have pretty good leadership in the land and you can have excellent prophets, but the people still might be a mess. Simply because it was a good ruler and good prophets doesn't mean that the nation was right. If you read chapter 1 through chapter 5, you, th you scratch your head and say, man, these people were messed up. So messed up were they that God said to this in chapter 1. He said this to them. He said, y'all, stop, stop going to church. You know it's bad when God says stop going to church. He says, stop bringing your offerings. Don't come before me anymore with your stuff. Why? 
not because it wasn't right to go to the temple, not because it wasn't right to give sacrifices, but because they were using their sacrifices and their offerings and their religious behavior to cover up for what was going on throughout the week and thinking that they did not need to be right on Tuesday because as long as I give my sacrifice on Saturday, which was their day of worship, whatever it might be, as long as I give my sacrifice on Friday or Saturday, I'm good. That's going to cover all the junk I do so I can treat my employees however I want on Wednesday because I'm going to give a little offering on Saturday. I can be whatever I want to be to my bride. I can treat my children however I wish. I can lie cheap on Thursday, but as long as I'm in church on Sunday, I'm okay. It was so bad, God said, stop. Don't bring me another offering. I don't think I've ever been that mad at church people. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being honest. I'm just, I've never said, don't bring an offering. I never heard a pastor to say that. But God said, stop. That's how mad he was. Yet they had a good king and the finest prophet who had been with respect to word. Wow. Good leadership, good word, bad people. Isaiah's sitting here looking around thinking we had a really good leader and the people were bad. What's going to happen when we have less of a leader? What's what, what, what going to happen? How are the people going to get right? He was the rudder and the Lord shows up in such a way that it makes Isaiah feel founded again. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Now remember, the idea of king is formed first in humanity. It's not formed first in heaven. Now, I'm, I'm hedging my language there because there's nothing that man exhibits that's good that doesn't first come from glory. But, but hear me. You don't see the concept of king really being brought up in the book of Genesis. It's only when people begun, begin to come together as a nation and they begin to see other nations that God addresses the issue in Deuteronomy and says, when you people cry out for a king like them, it wasn't even the original plan that they have a king. But when you cry out for a king like the other nations, I'll set some rules so that you can have one that does right. They can't multiply horses. They can't multiply wives. They, they, have, to, they have to take the word of the, of, the, of the Lord, the law, and they have to inscribe it before the priests. <laughs> they, they had to take everything that was in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, write it out by hand before the priest that was now we don't have any we don't have record that any of the kings ever did that but the Lord gave some commandments some some guidelines about what a king should be and 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 very few of them had to do with what a king desired it was all about his responsibility before God to be right to have his heart right and to be the kind of ruler that people would want to emulate it had nothing to do with making him happy so the concept of king was different but God decides, I'm going, to, I'm going to enwrap myself, I'm going to enclose myself within the concept that people best understand, especially with you, Isaiah, so you can feel something about the moment that gives you security. I'm going to, for the first time in all of Scripture, I'm going to show up as king. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. 
Up to this point, nobody had ever seen that before. Why did he do it to Isaiah? Because he's trying to say, listen to me. It matters who's on the throne, but not that much. It matters who's in charge, but not that much. Because when I'm in charge, it's all good. When I'm seated on the throne of your soul, it's all good. When you've given me your life, it's all good. When you understand that the earth is my footstool and I rule over all the affairs of men, it can be bad on the planet, but good for you. The Lord seated on a throne, high and lofty, and his train filled the temple. Boy, Isaiah said, oh, I don't have to be concerned about whether Uzziah's here. God's here. Ooh, that makes me feel good. But I feel really bad because all of my stuff, I've been complaining. I've been fearful. I've said some stuff. And we're not talking about bad language. We're just talking about poor speech. I've, 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 I haven't ministered as much faith to people in the midst of this transition as I should have. I've let fear rule my words. Again, he's the lead prophet for the nation. And this is the response that he has to what he sees. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And this is the guy who has the cleanest lips in the land. And he says they're unclean. Oh, preachers. We have to be careful what we say, not just when we're here. But on Monday, we have to be careful what we say, that we communicate consistency on a regular basis about the enthronement of Almighty God over the affairs of men. We have to be careful in our decision-making, that the Lord doesn't allow us, we, we, we give him control over our mouths and our decision-making that is in the best interests of people, not always based on their best interests. It winds up being in their best interests. But sometimes we are all called to sacrifice that which we absolutely think we need to get what we cannot live without. Little story, Elijah on Mount Carmel. He had already tested the prophets of Baal and said, cry out, let's see whose God is God. Whichever one answers by fire, he is God. He led Baal's prophets go first all day long they cried out cut themselves screamed hollered and Elijah was talking all kind of lip he said maybe he's deaf cry a little louder but maybe he went on vacation did, did, did he need a sabbatical he doesn't seem to be, maybe he's relieving himself give him a minute give him a minute that's what I say that's what Elijah said talking all kind of lip Finally, they were done. And Elijah says this, bring me an animal, put it on the altar, and then bring me some water. And let's pour the water on the altar. Now, it was a three and a half year drought. Water was more valuable than gold. And he was telling the people, bring me water and put it on the altar. Do you know what they were looking at him like? Well, we need that water. I thought it was supposed to burn. You put water on there. It ain't going to burn with water. What is wrong with you? 
He said, douse it with water. And he, he, uh, gallons upon gallons upon gallons. We're talking about probably 100 gallons of water. Until the entire trench around the altar was full. He said, not enough. Bring more. They were so mad at him, saying, we need this. We need this. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? Brought more water. And then he said, Lord, you know, if you are God, do what you do. Fire came from down, down from heaven. Licked up the, the sacrifice, the altar, and the water. It all went up. There was nothing left afterwards. Nothing. Fired itself from heaven. <clears throat> Remember, it hadn't rained in three and a half years. The people needed God, but they also needed rain. Sometimes you've got to give what you think you need to get what you can't live without. Where did that water go? Up in the sky. It became the seed for the shower that would come down and rain would fall upon the land. Sometimes it's not comfortable to just always think, well, we have to provide for the people in such a way. Sometimes we need to sacrifice what the people need in order to get what they can't live without. You got to make good decisions as a leader. You got to make sure that your mouth is always cleaned up so that you are speaking from God's perspective, not just your own. I live among a people who are messed up in their speech. I'm the best they got and mine is messed up. God, I need your help. Here's a leader who needed his lips clean, cleansed as I begin to close. <laughs> you talk about clean house. Now, this here just messes me up every time I read it. It says the angel was there, and they were crying out, and their voice was so thundering that the foundations of the temple shook. And when Isaiah recognized his own need, the, the angels saw it, and they said, oh, I know how to fix that. Let's get a coal from the altar, and let's go ahead and cleanse your lips. Now, if I was Isaiah, Isaiah's got more courage than me. If I was Isaiah, I'd say, isn't there another solution? Can, can, can we do something else? We're trying to cleanse my lip other than take one of those hot coals with burning red and put it up. Wait, wait, wait. It was so hot. It says that the angels needed tongs. That's how hot it was. The angels needed tongs to take the coal from the altar. I'm just letting you know. Those angels would have had to chase me all over church. I'd be running through and fro. Hey, no, 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 no. There's got to be another way to cleanse my lips. <laughs> lips are something, they're so sensitive. They're your lips. Can we do my fingers? Can, can we do my foot? Can we do it? Lips? Really? Oh. Took that coal and touched his lips. He said, Your lips are now clean. It's never comfortable to get pure. And listen, the entire purpose, reason I'm preaching this sermon, is to get you prepared for next. And you can't be prepared for next if you feel like me and are running around all over the place trying to keep away from the purifying agents. Trying to find a more comfortable way to get pure. We don't know how messed up we are. We think we have the remedy for our own condition, which generally is a couple of Tylenol. 
We don't think our problems are that big. We don't need a physician. We just take some Advil and go about our life. We got issues, all of us, and Brett is at the front of the line. I know how messed up I am, and that means this. I don't know how messed up I am. I happen to be the leader of the people that I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring out there. And the leader needs to be the best of the people he leads. That's my mantra. But I know how messed up I am. And if I'm this messed up, my people are really messed up. If I have the idea that I'm supposed to be the best of the people and I'm messed up, oh, God, help us all. I choose to stop running, oh God. Take that coal and hurt me. Make it uncomfortable as it needs to be in order for me to be pure. Purge me of my sin and selfishness. Why? Because there are people out there who are more unclean than me and they need the purity of the message you want to give to me so that they can get as right as they need to be. God help me. I need it. I need you to cleanse me. You, if this house is going to be clean, it's going to be clean because you desire it to be so by presenting yourself to God as somebody who needs cleansing. We are always looking at somebody else thinking, you the problem. We think that everybody else is the issue. And remember, as, every, as you think everybody else is the issue, to somebody else, you're that somebody else. They're always thinking you're the issue. If we would look in the mirror rather than pointing the finger, we'd get more clean, clean faster. We all need help. Angel, come here, hurry up. Waste no time between the altar and my lips. Touch them, cleanse me. Wherever the area of need is in your life that needs to be fortified, purified, help by Almighty God. Come to the altar in a hurry and present yourself. Let him begin to clean your house, not just the house. When it happened, all of a sudden Isaiah was ready. And it's not like God said, okay, you're ready to be my servant. He says... The Lord says, I have a need, and uh, I, I need, my people need a message, and I'm looking for somebody to go for me. And it's not like there was an audience to whom the Lord was speaking. It's not like he was talking in church to 150, 500,000 people. There was only one guy in the room. And maybe it was one of these rhetorical questions whereby Isaiah was supposed to say, you talking to me? But Isaiah realized this was a moment for him to respond even if the Lord was talking to somebody else in rhetorical fashion about what needed to be done. And just conversing with Isaiah, do you have any options? Do you have any suggestions about how this might be? Isaiah said, wait, 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 wait. You don't have to use me as a conduit to get to somebody else. I'm here. I've been through the worst. That cold was painful. And I'm not going to waste that pain. I'm not going to waste that difficulty, that trial through which I've been. I'm not going to allow that to be the end point for me. I'm going to allow you to cleanse me for a purpose. Here I am. Can I please go for you? Oh, there are so many people that Pastor James cannot minister to. Why? Because he doesn't know them. You do. They're not in his sphere of influence. 
You have to be sent to make that happen. So many folks that need your input. You may not know all the chapter and verse. You may not get all the, 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 the theological conundrums that need to be uh, resolved and the paradoxes that people have with respect to questions about is God this or the theodicy out there? How in the world can a good God allow bad things to happen? You may not have all the answers, but you do have a story. You have something to share about what God has done with you. And that's more than the person who's asking you has. Because their perspective about life is all skewed. They're blaming him rather than thanking him. You've got, a, you've, got a, you've got some gratitude on the inside of you, even in the midst of your not understanding everything that God has done or that the enemy has tried to rot in your life, whereby you think he got some victory and God didn't. You might have a lot of questions, but there's, there's no question about this. There's an undeniable story about your salvation experience and that from which he has delivered you. As a result of the cleansing, you need to say regularly, here I am. I'm ready to go for you. Now, that's not bypassing all the preparation that needs to happen in your life in order to become more prepared, more ready. But it, but it does mean this, that you do not have to wait for whatever version of prepared you think is most prepared in order to be a minister. You just start. You just start. You just start, you start praying for people. You start taking the passages of scripture that you do know and helping them. You start ministering to folks. You help people wherever they are because you have been cleansed by Almighty God and you're able to say, I'll go for you. I'll be your volunteer today. This city needs to be one. And it seems that God is bringing more people to you. So I don't know what, somebody told me thousands of what, five, 10,000 people moving to Nashville every month? I don't know what it is. Somebody help me. Am I close? A hundred people a day. Uh, that's phenomenal. They're all coming because they're trying to find Jesus. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. They have no idea. They're, they, they're coming for a job. They're coming for an opportunity. They found a better living situation. They're coming for a life. But they're, they're like Saul. Saul was looking for donkeys. He lost them. But he was really looking for his calling. He didn't know it. They're going to come to Bethel. They're going to come to you. They may not come in the building, but they're going to come to you, 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 the version of Bethel that happened to be in their workplace. And you need to be prepared. Amen. Understanding what it means every day, having been sent by Almighty God to do something really special in their lives. Let them cleanse you. In the midst of transition, I beg you, don't become insecure. Just look at it as normal. Whatever your normal is today, next week is going to be different. You're going to always be in transition. He's enthroned. He's in charge. Let that rulership bring stability to your own soul. In the midst of it, let him begin to purify you of the impurities and the insecurities that made you feel like something was really wrong when transition was going on. And all the transition he was trying to do is bring you to better, not worse. But you couldn't see it. And then let him cleanse you from those things so that you can then say, I am more prepared than I've ever been to be your witness. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. There is nobody on the earth, nobody in the heavens like you. Would you please help us as a people? To be sent by you. 
to be cleansed first and then sent by you. Purify all of us. Sanctify us according to your word. And give us the courage to minister to people who are in desperate need. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Oh, maybe you've made a decision in the past, but it doesn't look anything. Your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be. And you want to come home today. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand, <coughs> excuse me, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody at all? See that hand, bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. You online. I know it's awkward to raise your hand at home, but if you feel like you want to make a commitment to Christ today in a fresh way, I want to pray with you. You who raised your hand in this building, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You who prayed that prayer, there are some people here in this church, <coughs> excuse me, in this church who want to help you be successful in the decision that you made. So please contact them. I imagine there's a link there online if you're watching. There's a link to which you can go to find some help. All we want you to do is be great in God, that's all. Bless you. It's a pleasure ministering to you. Y'all are the best. Amen. Wow. Wow. That was phenomenal. Thank you, Pastor Brett. Thank you. You know, as we prepare to, to leave this place, uh, we talked a lot about the altar and just the, the act of making a statement of going to the altar and, and saying, God, cleanse me, purify me, that we can lay down our comfort to pick up his cleansing. I love how Pastor Brett said that. Uh, and coincidentally, we call the front of this stage area the altar. And so as we go, we're going to leave just a kind of a, a worship atmosphere going on. And we have a team that's ready to pray with anybody who'd like to do that. Maybe you raised your hand uh, and you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ. or You'd like to dedicate your life to Christ. Uh, well, right down here, we'll have a team of pastors uh, and ministry team members that want to pray with you and, and walk through that experience with you. Again, if this is your first time uh, with us, we'd love to meet you. Over here, we have an area called Guest Central. Myself and some of our uh, team are going to be there just to shake your hand. Thank you for coming. Answer any questions you might have about our church. And as you make your way out, just keep in mind uh, a few things that we have going on this week, whether it's the kickball uh, this afternoon at, uh, at two o'clock uh, or maybe some men's breakfast on Saturday or Wednesdays, we pray at 6 a.m. right here in this room and we have our Bethel midweek service at 7 p.m. God bless you. Church, you are dismissed. Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried. 